right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Alright? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey, and on today's edition of the show, Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney will join us at 340. Jim Root of uh, Three Man Weave. We've had him on once a year over the last couple of years to help us preview the college basketball season. We're going to do that again today, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, They just released the College Basketball Almanac, which is a uh, very informative piece going around previews for every conference in the country. Has a lot of great stuff on there, so looking forward to talking with Jim in uh, about an hour and a half from right now. We have another edition of Lie Detector Test, and we're going to get to our KU Football Non-Conference Awards. We also have some uh, audio we're going to get to later in the show. Right off the top, uh, we're going to start making this a thing on Thursdays. Fun with Numbers is what we call it, and an update on uh, some of the numbers for KU football this year that we think are fun. This is a tough segment for me because generally I do not have fun with numbers. No, you have nightmares with numbers. Numbers are the antithesis of me. (laughs) Yes. Well, you don't have to do any math for these. That's good. I think that's specifically math has been your your nemesis. Uh, Zero. Zero is the... Oh, the, I, I understand zero. Yeah, zero. Well, do you? Zero is kind of a complicated number. Is it a number? Is it a figure? Is it positive? Is it negative? Do you start counting with zero? What? A lot of questions there with zero. I thought I understood zero, and I now I don't. Okay. Because you just rambled off a bunch of random... Well, how about this one with zero? This one will make sense. Uh, that is KU, their turnover margin to this point. They're even on turnovers. They've okay. turned the ball yeah. over as many times as they've gotten turnovers back. Yeah. I, I think this is a number for them Which to... Like, all things considered, zero is yes. not bad, but it's no. not good. For for a team that, like Kansas, is as talented as they are and as many good players as they have, you know, you still don't have a roster fully loaded with four and five stars. You have to be able to win the turnover margin moving forward. I think this is something for them to be that Big 12 title contender to win eight or nine games this year. You have to have that turnover margin start to swing your way. Yeah, that's true. If If you are going to be, like, when you look at the turnover margin, Typically, unless you are a team that has by far and away the best talent, like the best players, generally you're not going to be able to overcome a bad turnover margin if you're not. And even then, a, a lot team. of those teams do have good turnover margins because they're good teams. Exactly. And it's like, well, if you're a good team, you're going to hold on to the ball better. Um, and typically where, where you force the most turnovers is with pass rush because you're either going to get a strip sack or you're going to hit the quarterback, the ball's going to pop out. Or you're going to force the quarterback to throw too early into a tight window and get a pick. And what are the scenarios to which you would be pass rushing more? Third and longs? Or if you are up, meaning that you've scored points, or if it's third down and longs, that means your defense is doing a good job in early down situations to put yourself in better positions to achieve that that type of scenario where you would then force more turnovers. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I, I think that is a number that needs to go up. Now, this week specifically, if you told me KU is even on turnovers, I think that's good enough. But if you start looking at some of the other games on the schedule, when you're going on the road in Big 12 play, when you're playing in Texas, when you're playing in Oklahoma, those are games yeah. you have to win the turnover margin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because since they're at zero in non-con, 
we'll know at the end of the season what that's they right. did in conference play because very they were easy, a zero bro. in non-con. Yeah, we don't have to so that's, much. that's great for me mm-hmm. for math purposes. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, but obviously this tur- the turnover margin is indicative generally of a good team. Like if you if your turnover margin is negative, you're probably not going to be a team. Like I said, unless you're like far and away better in every other area, you're not going to be a team that's maybe necessarily competing for for championships. Yes. So that's a that is a a stat that is indicative of maybe how good your team is. All right. Well, uh, how about this number? Right now, Devin Neal, he would be on pace for a little over 1,200 rushing yards through the regular season, over 1,300 through a bowl game, which we talked a little last week about. You know, maybe that gives him a shot at at getting to you know John Cornish and stuff. If he can have one or two of those games that really puts you above pace, where he has like 200 yards. So John Cornish's number is what 1391. I thought it was 14 14? something. Yeah, I think I think Devin was as of last week on pace for thirteen ninety one. Oh. Uh, Cornish is like it's like fourteen fifty somewhere around that range. If you just look at total yards though, so rushing yards plus receiving yards. Right now, Devin Neal in a twelve game regular season is on pace for seventeen hundred and thirty six total yards. Out of comparison, last year, so I guess yards from scrimmage would be the the other way to put it. Last year, yards from scrimmage he had twelve seventy three, so that'd be like a five hundred yard increase from that number. But also the touchdowns are pretty remarkable. He had nine as a freshman. He had ten last year. Both those are good numbers. Um, so far this year, he already has six. That puts him on pace for twenty four total touchdowns, and that's just in regulation or in the regular season. You get to a bowl game, you add that extra game in there. Now you're talking about nineteen hundred yards. Now you're talking about you know, uh, I don't know, 25, 26 touchdowns, somewhere in that range. But point being, right now, Devin Neal is on pace to be in discussion to be an All-American level running back. Yes, absolutely. He's definitely on pace to be that that level. Uh, and, you know, we'll see with how much he does continue to get that workload. Maybe if like a guy like Daniel Hyshaw eats into some of that a little bit. But, but yeah, I mean, he's been outstanding. He's been probably KV's best player through the first three weeks. Uh, he's been developing into more of that workhorse guy that I think you and I both suggested what might be possible in the preseason. Uh, he's been he's been everything you you could want him to be at this point. Uh, you know, when you had some question marks early in the year at quarterback, you knew you could rely on Devin Neal. When you had some some question marks about health or depth at the running back position, you knew you could rely on Devin Neal. So, uh, yeah, he's been everything you could dream of for the first three games of the season. And he will probably need to continue to play at that level for KU to be very, very successful in conference play because you need that dynamic one-cut guy with with explosive power. You know, you look at this KU offense and you think to yourself, well, yeah, they are very explosive. Well, who, wh- which guys give them that explosiveness? It's Devin Neal from the running back position. It's a guy like a Quentin Skinner on the outside or, you know, Lawrence Arnold, right? Those, those are your explosive players. So if those guys are playing at the top of their game, that's fantastic for you as an offense. And it, Devin Neal seems like he's certainly playing at that level this, this far in the season. Devin Neal's also leading the team in uh, yards per reception. Obviously, that that one big one he had against Nevada helps. Uh, speaking of the receivers, though, how about this? If I would have told you before the season that through the first three games, through the non-con, that KU would only have one combined touchdown from LJ Arnold, Luke Grimm, Quentin Skinner, Mason Fairchild, Trevor Cardell, Tanaka Scott, Doug Emelian, Trevor Wilson, what would you think? One touchdown between all those guys? Yes. Who, who's got the one? Uh, it's uh, Luke Grimm. It, uh, oh, yeah, Luke Grimm from the Missouri State. Yeah, right now the touchdowns, five are Devin Neal, three are Dale, or Daniel Highshot. You have one each on the ground from McDuffie and Savion Morrison. I guess Neal has one more, so six because the uh, receiving. Grimm has the one, and then uh, Jared Casey and Tory Lachlan have the other two. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's fascinating because Mason Fairchild, I think especially, is a guy that you looked at and say, 
he's probably going to be one of your top red zone targets. Yeah, he had six and last year. Yeah, you would think that he would get to that number or even surpass it this season. And then, of course, your deep threat, Quentin Skinner. Lawrence Arnold is a stalwart receiver that you would expect to find the end zone you know, more. Uh, and I, I just, it just goes to show the depth that KU has that they are willing to spread the ball around. And I also think it goes to show that Andy Kolnicki understands what level of players KU has and, and understands spreading the ball around and is willing to give guys chances in the red zone that you know maybe the defense is a keying on, i.e. Torrey Lachlan, i.e. Jared Casey. Right, those are not guys that you know. Those are going to be like your fourth or fifth reads on defense if you're looking to stop Kansas in the red zone. Right, I mean, if it's third and goal from the seven, who are you keying in on if you're the defense? Luke Graham probably first, Lawrence Arnold probably second, Mason Fairchild. I mean, you, you literally have to get through like four or five guys before you get to a Jared Casey or Tory Lachlan. Yeah, and so that just that just goes to show me that Andy Kolnicki has faith that he can scheme up things for those guys that he knows maybe defenses aren't going to be keying in on right away. To allow them to, to make plays and to go score touchdowns. So, and I also think you know it speaks to the fact that KU has a group of guys that are together and playing as a team, and it doesn't matter who's scoring the touchdowns for them, right? That, that that's not an issue. It doesn't it doesn't matter who's getting the 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 accolades in terms of scoring the touchdowns. This is they're they're they, are, they have banded together as a team, and uh, you know I still expect Lawrence Arnold, Mason Fairchild to get theirs, but it is. It is interesting that it's taking the time. And obviously you have the weird game from Jalen Daniels against Nevada where he throws for 300 yards and no touchdowns. <laughs> so if you don't throw for any touchdowns, nobody can score any touchdowns. Right. I mean, it's that simple. Yeah. No, I, I, it's really not a big deal. It just is one of those weird things that obviously will come around. It is crazy how much they've balanced the ball. And this is something Andy Kotelnicki has talked about that, you know, it, it's not really something where they're trying to force the ball one way. It's like they have certain plays, of course, that they're trying to maybe – find the right matchup for that player against certain defense. But, you know, sometimes the defense plays a different way, and then you have to go to your third read and somebody else. It's based on whoever's open. But uh, I think it speaks well to the depth of targets that KU has. They have five different players with at least 111 receiving yards this season, and they have 11 players who have caught a pass. Uh, they also have, let's see, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players who have caught at least two passes this season. So uh, it, it's very uh, depth of target. And and I do think L.J. Arnold, because of this, is kind of getting slept on because L.J. Arnold is leading the team in receptions with 14. He's leading the team in receiving yards with 212. And besides Devin Neal, he's leading the team in yards per reception, too. So he's been really good this year. As of all the receivers, Quentin Skinner's been good, and yep. so is Luke Grimm, and yep. you know these guys coming off the bench. But uh, I don't know, just kind of interesting, maybe, maybe not getting their due because the, the touchdowns haven't been there just yet. I'm sure they'll come. Uh, 28 is the amount of tackles for loss that KU has on their defense. So on average, that's over nine per game. They're actually leading the Big 12 wow. in tackles for loss, which that's always a number that I look at that really describes the line of scrimmage. You can look at the end of a game and compare your tackles for loss versus theirs, and it, it usually is pretty indicative of who won the line of scrimmage. Um, this is something Kansas has done a really good job of so far this season. Out of comparison. Last year, the KU offensive line did a good job avoiding tackles for loss, so that was good, but the KU defense didn't get enough tackles for loss. Last season, uh, by my count, KU had 61 tackles for loss. That's about four and a half, five per game. You're almost doubling that right now through three games. Yeah, and also, that just also I think that factors in sacks, right? Sacks count as tackles for yeah, loss. Yes, sack sacks do yeah, count as tackles so, for loss. So there you go. You're getting more pressure on the quarterback. You're getting more sacks, i.e. getting more tackles for loss, but... Yeah, that, that's a very, very great sign because I think you kind of put it, you kind of hit it right on the head there with saying 
if you are getting more tackles for loss, that just means that your D-line is not getting pushed around. That means that your D-line is not getting pushed around, they're taking up blocks, and you have guys behind them from the linebacker position that can go make plays. I mean, I think this this is a J.B. Brown stat to me. 28 tackles for loss, J.B. Brown's number is 28. He is the leader in tackles yeah. for loss, too. J.B. Brown's this 20, yeah. number is 28, 28 tackles yeah. for loss. The reason this is a J.B. Brown stat is because J.B. Brown is the type of guy to where if you have D-linemen up front that are taking up blocks, J.B. Brown is the type of player that can see that and knife through and make a tackle in the backfield. That that he he that is his style, right? He is a heat-seeking missile. He can go in and make those plays like that. And when you have a D-line that is strong enough to take on blocks and not get moved off the ball and you know maybe consume double teams or whatever and not let guys getting not let offensive linemen from the other team get to the next level. And then on, you couple that with a linebacker like J.B. Brown, who is explosive and will sh- will shoot into the backfield and make plays like that. That's where you, that's where you can get more tackle philosophy that way. And KU, I think, has been missing that a little bit from the linebacker position, especially for a while. Like you have linebackers that are solid players, Rich Miller, Tywan Berryhill, guys like that. But those are not guys that are going to explode through the offensive line into the backfield, right? Those are more uh, of your stay at home, fill a hole type linebackers, but if you're looking for tackles for loss, you need a guy like Jamie Brown who can explode in there. And then again, I think it speaks to the, to the defensive line in two folds. Number one, you're getting more sacks. That means that you're getting more tackles for loss on top of that, which obviously they had, what, six against Illinois? And beyond that, it just means that your D-line is doing a better job of, of not getting blown off the ball, of holding the line, and either you know meeting the running back at the line of scrimmage and driving him backwards, or not letting him get through untouched, which slows him down and, and can lead to more plays in the backfield as well. So that's a very impressive number, and I think that's an element that the KU defense has really missed probably for a while that can really, really elevate a defense to being in the upper echelon of a conference, right? Or even just not in the bottom, basically, if you're getting tackles for loss. Because that because tackles for loss is something that can also kind of snowball on itself, right? If it's first and ten and you tackle a guy at the line of scrimmage or lose yards, and it's second and long. The offense is going to be looking to probably pass or do something else, which sets you up for pass rush. Same thing. If you get into third and long, all it does is it sets you up to to get more. So really, really stellar job by the defense so far. Uh, obviously, they haven't really played an offense that I would say has been elite to this point in the season. But And they probably won't see that again with, with BYU. I mean, I don't think BYU is an extremely explosive offense. But still... The fact that they're doing this against even offenses of the caliber they faced is certainly a step up from where they were previously. Yes. Uh, how about this number? We, we talked a little bit about the punting. Damon Greaves is only averaging 39 yards per punt. It's only four punts. That is such a small because, sample. because why won't they let him Aussie punt? Well, is it just, I mean, it's only four punts. I don't punts. understand. What isn't, if isn't that what he, isn't that like his thing? But like, what if he hasn't been able to? You know, like what? Well, if, I know if he's punting from his own end zone. That's what I'm saying. Like I'm trying to think through all the punts that he's had. There Missouri, was one in his own end zone against Illinois. Missouri State, no. Punts. He didn't have any. Illinois, he punted from like five yards deep in his end zone. Yeah, so maybe he couldn't that time. The the Nevada one. Nevada, he had another punt deep in his own territory. And then the other one was at like their 35. So he had to try to pin him deep, which he did. He did a great job of. Yeah, I don't know. And so I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm like concerned or anything about this. All I'm saying is. KU uh, was last in the Big 12 last year in yards per punt. That was Reese Vernon. Do you know what he averaged? 39.9. So, so this is actually Im- lower you than, than last season. 
That would scare me a little bit, but again, it is such a small sample, and when you take into account that because it's a small sample and one of his punts was only able to go, whatever that was, like 35 yards before it could be pinned deep, that's going to skew the average. So I will say this. I'm not concerned about it at all, but it is something that I'm interested to monitor. Yeah, I'm not concerned either because a couple reasons. I think when you look at the special teams and what KU needed to address, the most glaring area that they needed to address was kicking, field goal kicking, right? And they went out and did that. Seth Keller's been great so far this season. When it comes to punting, number one, you don't want to be punting that often, right? And with KU's offense, I think ideally if you're KU, you'd hope that you only have to punt like, what, two times a game maybe, if mm-hmm. that. So you don't really want to, you don't really necessarily want to rely on your punter. So the fact that Greaves has not been great early does not concern me at all either. I think it'll be fine. Uh, you know, again, I mean, there might be a game where you do need to have some some quality punting to make sure you maintain field position, but this is a minimal concern for me. The bigger concern for me is why can't I want to see him Aussie punt? I mean, he's that that isn't that what he's supposed to do? I don't understand. What if you're just being racist? How how is because he's racist? Australian and you just assume that all Australians can Aussie punt? Well, don't all Americans American punt? I guess. So what's so it riddle me that, huh? I don't know. Well, couldn't Explain an American Aussie me. punt? Couldn't an Aussie American punt? Sure, and I think they do. But Americans don't Aussie punt, I don't think. <laughs> they could. I don't but Why they can't don't they learn. I don't know. That's what I don't understand. All right, how about how about this number I got for you here? Eight no. That is the record under Lance Leipold when Kansas allows less than 30 points in a game. They're only giving up 21 points per game right now. They have not given up 30 points in a game so far this season. So uh, there's a couple ways of looking at this. One, how often will you be giving up less than 30 points in a Big 12 game? Two, is that realistic this Saturday? Three, if you told me they give up less than 30, don't you feel really confident they're going to win? Yes. Yes on the third question. The second question I already forgot. I might have forgot to. Okay, uh, basically, I... Oh, the second question was for this Saturday. Yeah. For this Saturday, yes, I think that's reasonable to assume that. Okay. I don't think BYU's offense is any more... averaging exactly 31 per game. I don't think BYU's offense is any more explosive than Illinois' offense, and okay. you did a pretty good job maintaining them. And on top of that, against Illinois, you give up a 70-yard touchdown run okay. to a quarterback. And then the first part of that question was, how many games can you assume in the Big 12 that you can hold a team under 30 this year? That is the interesting question. BYU, I, mean, I think, is kind of a coin flip. BYU is a coin flip. UCF with no Plumley becomes yeah, a coin flip, I think. Probably no Texas. Texas, Probably you would assume they're over. to Oklahoma. Oklahoma, you're assuming they're over. Oklahoma State, Oklahoma I, think State I think you hope you that it's under. under. I think that would be a but, bad thing if it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but given their, the end of their offensive struggles. under. Yeah. Iowa, Iowa State, State, you would assume, assume under. Texas Tech, I think you would assume over. over. Kansas State, Kansas probably State, coin flip. Probably over. I would lean more over. Maybe. Cincinnati. I don't know enough. TBD on Cincinnati. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of leaning under, but TBD. So, okay. So that means we've, we have what? Three that we are, that we think it's reasonable. Yeah. Oklahoma State, Iowa State. What was the other one? Maybe maybe just two. Oklahoma State. Two that you feel good about. UCF coin flip, BYU coin flip, Kansas State coin flip. That's three. I guess Cincinnati coin flip. Cincinnati coin flip. That's four. That gets to six. And then the three where you don't think Texas Tech, Texas, Oklahoma. Yeah. So let's say you hold those two that you're supposed to under 30 and you can So we have both how games. many corn flips do we have? Four? Four. And you go two and two okay, in so those. You go two let's and see. two. Yeah, right? That gets you to say four. four and two. And that gets you to seven wins. <laughs> it seems disappointing. Well, not disappointing. It just from, I don't know. But I mean, I mean, okay, but here's the deal. 
He's 8-0 when he holds opponents under 30 points, but that doesn't yeah. mean he always loses when they score that's, more than 30 That's points. a good point, yeah. I mean, you could give up 30 points to Texas Tech and still win. That's right. You could beat Oklahoma 34-31. Yes. You know? Or Kansas State. Yeah. 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 So okay. even if you're giving up less than 30, or even if you got more than 30, that doesn't mean you're not. That means that doesn't mean you're just going to lose. <laughs> Could you imagine they just shut off the game? <laughs> score where they passed it. Well, guys, sorry. That, that would be interesting. Time they, to go home. You, you, they change it to like a. Uh, it's like a target score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They Could you imagine it to, like, to like the Elam ending? How screwed would Elam Iowa in football. be? How screwed would Iowa be if college football was that way? It was like. So the Elam ending should be in football. Be, you add what? A touchdown to whoever's winning at the eight-minute mark or something. No, I think you just start at the fourth quarter. Okay, so whoever's you say, winning, what do you add? Ten points, a touchdown? Yeah, like, I don't know. There's, I think there needs to be some deeper math involved. Like, you need to add the two teams' scores together, divide that by three, and then, like, what the add, I don't know. <laughs> it needs to be, more, oh needs to be more involved with that. That'd be wild. <laughs> That's what I think they should do. All right. Well, we'll add the two teams' scores together, divide by three, and add two. <laughs> what so like the if it's heck? so like if it's twenty one to fourteen, dude. You know how long you get that would 17 take. Seventeen plus two. No, you need Wait, to divide more than three. What is your math? See, this you is what we said at the beginning. Math is not your three. Thirty five divide divided by, by three is about twelve. So then you'd be needing fourteen points. Here's where you oh, okay, run that, into an that's issue. Fine. That's fine. But here's where you run into an issue. Um, some of those Big Twelve old fashioned games where it's like fifty to forty eight. Exactly. And then all of a sudden you're having your to add scores like, 30 like thirty points, points. to the Elam ending. <laughs> and the fourth quarter takes three hours. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. Uh, he's Nick Springer. I love that idea. I'm Derek Jones. Right, your mark. <laughs> I'm gonna get you on the phone. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney joins us in about fifteen minutes. We got some uh, player audio with Quentin Skinner coming up next. Welcome back in Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. KU takes on BYU on Saturday. It's already a sellout. The pregame show, uh, we're going to have our live show noon to one at Big Mill. Crimson and Blue show with the Jayhawk Radio Network starts at one o'clock and kickoff will be at 2.30. You'll be able to hear the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, on the call. Brian joins us now on the show. Second straight season, the KU is 3-0, and which you know we've discussed many times on this show, the uh, importance of that number that it's only happened two other times. It's it's even crazier when you look at the times that they've had back-to-back 4-0 seasons because there was only one other time. You have to go back to three straight years from 1913 to 1914 to 1915. Uh, so I, I guess now that they are 3-0, though, for the second straight year, what about this year feels similar to last season, and, and what about this year feels maybe different from last year? Well, first off, I was going to say Nick Springer wasn't alive the last time we were 3-0, and but then you quote stats, talking about back-to-back 3-0s, and <laughs> that is. And then you quote stats that, that would say that Max Falkenstein wasn't even born yet the last time that we're doing four and zero all those straight years. But uh, but yeah, no, it's it's pretty special, and there's some interesting symmetry or synergy when you look back on 31 years ago. It's the last time we played BYU. It's the only time we played like BYU was in, of course, the Aloha Bowl and Kwame Lasseter, who now is the late, great Kwame Lasseter. Unfortunately, two of his boys will be going toe-to-toe on Saturday. But again, that was that same 91-92 stretch where they opened 3-0 in back-to-back years. So hard to believe it's been three-plus decades since then, but thankful that uh, we're back on that track now and it seems much more sustainable nowadays uh, than it did feel back then and hopefully that's a sign of, of great things to come for that Flypoles program but fired up about this I don't know about you guys but I'm, I'm glad we get to host BYU out the gates I think this was the best of the four that they added in Bob Bowlesby's 
four-team edition before Commissioner Yormark took over. I think, while certainly Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF each bring something unique to the conference, BYU has the biggest national brand, the most cachet, most eyeballs to the end. And you look at their history. I mean, wow, 40 bowl games. They've got the eighth most wins in college football in the last 50 years. They've got, you know, all kinds of great quarterback tradition going back to Steve Young and Ty Detmer and Wilson most recently. A lot of, uh, a lot of impressive uh, display at, at all positions, really, guys they produce in the National Football League. So excited to see what all that looks like come Saturday. But the fact that we get to host them and we get to show them that coming to the Big 12, you might have thought that Austin, Texas, and Norman, Oklahoma, and some of those places were the toughest spots to go in and get a win. But we want to prove that Lawrence, Kansas, He's very much that as well, and let's see if that's the case come Saturday afternoon. Well, you talked about that 91-92 last time, you know, being 3-0, and and, and obviously that was the only meeting between these two in the 1992 Aloha Bowl. Uh, Kansas wins off the Dan Eichloff game-winning field goal. Uh, do you remember much from that game as a kid, and or has David Lawrence given you any fun tidbits or, or memories from that game? Yeah, I was 11 years old, and I do remember watching that game uh, on Christmas Day, and Chip Hillary was the quarterback back then. In fact, I reached out to Chip this week, and we're going to get him to record a little pump-you-up message during the pregame that will air, talking about uh, 31 years later cheering on the Hawks after winning the only ever all-time meeting with BYU. But, yeah, we, we lost the opening coin toss. They ran the opening kickback for a touchdown, and you're thinking, uh-oh, this isn't good. But a great job of battling back by the Hawks. And, of course, they would win another Aloha Bowl three years later. But I hadn't been to a bowl game uh, in, in some time heading into that 92 game. And so, for me, that was the first KU football bowl game that I'd seen in my lifetime old enough to actually pay attention. And uh, I remember thinking how cool it was that we were playing football in late December. And then when they overcame that early game adversity to come back and end up winning the game, I, I was hooked on KU football pretty much from then going forward. So that was kind of a, a pivotal moment in my young fandom. I remember going to games with my dad before that, and watching Tuxedo Tony Sands rush for almost 400 yards versus Mizzou. But winning a bowl game, that, that brought me in probably as much as anything. And like I said, it, it had been 11 years since their previous bowl appearance heading into 1992. So great to see him win that one. And you know, we talk about this probably too much, but the fact that we've not been able to sustain these postseason appearances more than the 07 08 year, the only consecutive bowl appearances they ever had, that's what's so great about what this current regime is building. From Travis Goff to Lance Leipold, Doug Gerard, our chancellor, making sure that everything that's going on right now is sustainable to where we don't have to talk about an 11 year old watching his first KU bowl game 11 years into his life because the Hawks are going bowling more years than not. That's the expectation. That's the type of year in, year out consistency that Lance Leipold's trying to build a model that has the Hawks thoroughly in the mix every year. And hopefully that's going to be the case for Kansas. And clearly a win on Saturday would be a big step toward that. Well, and to that point on, on building the program, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, some of the comments from Lance Leipold. Uh, whether it was after the game or, or leading up to this week about, you know, obviously there are things from the Nevada game, a game that you were expected to win by more that, you know, you need to work on or improve on or that you're going to go back in the film and, and try to correct moving forward. But at the same point in time, you, you can't be dwelling on, oh, but we only won by this. Celebrate the wins. And, and I think that was kind of a good lesson this week to reset to the idea of, 
yeah, as much as, uh, you know, the, the ceiling has been raised and the expectations have been raised, even if you think that they should win by this or you think that you want to see them have their A performance every week, wins are still awesome and enjoy them when you get them. Yeah, I, I love that perspective. I thought that was spot on. And hey, if we ever get to the point where we're winning ten or eleven games a year, then we can nitpick a seven-point road win. But you know, there was a time when we went a decade without winning on the road. So celebrate them when you get them. Understand that. Yeah, sure. The expectation was Kansas was going to win by four or five touchdowns, but Nevada—they've got good football players too. I mean, you look up and down there too deep. Every skill position player, with one exception of the guys that were, were too deep at running back, tight end, receiver, quarterback. Every one of them, with one exception, had played for a major conference team, in most cases a Pac-12 team, the previous year prior to transferring it. So they had some big-time guys. They'd been kicked in the mouth the, the week before by Idaho and then told all week about how bad they were. They came out and fought. Give them credit. You know? and, and our guys obviously... They didn't play our best game. We had some self-inflicted wounds with the penalties. You want to get cleaned up. Uh, a couple times where J.D. probably tried to do too much back there at quarterback. But by and large, you know, they, they took on a team that clearly played with more pride than what they'd shown the previous week. I do think the late time had something to do with it. Sometimes I think that gets made too much of. But in a program that ever since Lance got here, they've done everything in the morning. And early, I mean, these guys are at the facility by 7.30 a.m., practicing by 8.30. You don't just flip your practice plan to 9.30 p.m. for one week when these guys have classes the next day and all that stuff. So, you know, they kept it the way it was, but good things to keep the guys' bodies active and engaged throughout the afternoon and evening hours. But you can't tell me that didn't have some effect it was all said and done if we looked a little bit flat here or there. So I think it was a combination of all those factors. And then, as we discussed on Hawk Talk last night, you force five fumbles and don't get a single one of them. And, and that's a stat, and I don't know what the exact uh, sabermetrics people or football would say on how much percentage of a fumble recovery is luck and how many out of five you should expect to get. But when... The shape of the ball that you play with in a specific sport is oblong. You don't know which way it's going to bounce in a given forced fumble. And you'd like to think that one out of five is going to hop up into your bed basket and you're able to recover it. You'd like to think that two out of five would probably be more realistic. But it was one of those days where the ball just didn't bounce KU's way. And if one or two of those do, they probably win by 10, 14, 17 points. Who knows? And we're not talking about having to sweat it out on the final drive of the game. So I like what you said. I like what Coach started with the week with, that perspective of celebrate wins when you get them. And, hey, if we're ever at a point where we can nitpick a one-touchdown road win, that must mean we climbed to some pretty high heights. And I don't know about you, but I'd sign up for that in a heartbeat. Yep, absolutely. So BYU, the opponent this week. Both teams come in at 3-0. and Big 12 opener for KU. Big 12 opener for uh, the first time ever for, for BYU coming into this one. Uh, what sticks out to you the most about BYU and, and what they're going to bring to the table against KU this week? I think this game will be won or lost in the trenches, and a lot of coaches would tell you that every week. It's that important up front. But just looking at the way they play, looking at some of the, the hallmarks that Coach Satake, you know, really hangs his hat on, I, I think Kansas's O-line, which didn't have its best game last week, they need to step up this week, give J.D. a chance to 
stand back there and, and make a play, not have to run around too much and try to scramble. And Hey, what he did versus Illinois was awesome with that 48-yard completion to Grimm where he set it all up with his feet. But he doesn't need to feel like he has to make those plays all the time, and hopefully perception will be such to where he's able to you know, step up in the pocket, throw down field, and not have to run around uh, you know, with a bunch of Cooper's chasing him for, for the sack attempt. But uh, I do think the running game is going to be stalled a little bit with a, a much better defensive front than what we've seen two weeks out of three in our schedule thus far. I think the yards will be tougher to come by for a Kansas rushing offense that right now is 15th in the country in yards per game. It's been excellent. Devin Neal's been one of the best in America at 7.6 carry. He's, he's right up there in the, the nation's leaders in terms of total touchdowns, with six of them. I believe he's tied for second in the country. But it's going to be tougher this week. And we don't know the effect that the, the weather forecast that everybody's been talking about since Monday will ultimately have on this game. But, you know, if, if it is wet, does that affect the, the Daniels versus Slovis quarterback matchup that everybody wants to talk so much about? Does it put more onus on the ground attack? Does it take away some of the option pitch? I don't know. You know maybe it's bone dry until the end of the game and then the heavens open up. But there's been a lot of talk about weather and, and implement you know, weather plans and that kind of thing, and that could have a say in this when it's all said and done. But that's why I say you know, the, the team's effort up front in the trenches, in the box there, not only in keeping J.D. upright, giving him time, but creating some running lanes for, for Devin and for Daniel and the rest of these backs, I think there's a paramount importance. And obviously, we want to get after the passer on the other side, but our D-line making it tough for a guy who started his career at USC, he played at Pitt, he's got over 10,000 career passing yards, over 70 career passing touchdowns. These are two of the more established and accomplished quarterbacks, not just in the Big 12, but in the country. So I'm really, really pumped to see that matchup, and I hope Mother Nature makes it such that these guys can air it out a little bit and we get to see what these offenses are really all about. We had talked about this a little bit earlier in the week, but do you see any similarities between maybe how BYU plays and their style versus how Illinois played? And if so, how do you think Kansas might that might help Kansas in this game that they maybe have a similar opponent that they already showed they could beat against Illinois? Yeah, I think that's a great comparison. And I think not just from a stylistic standpoint, but from a talent standpoint, I think they're very, very similar. Uh, I think maybe coming into the year, we might have thought that you give a, a minor edge to, to Illinois talent-wise, but then when BYU goes into... Fayetteville scores the last 17 points of that game and wins at Arkansas. That's eye-opening. And uh, this, this very well could be our toughest opponent yet, but I think it's very similar talent-wise and stylistically. And I, I'll take it one step further, because Lance just said this earlier today. We, we take his pregame, spoiler alert, two days in advance at home. I like to do that because the team travels into Kansas City to, to kind of get away the night before the game. So the, the haze in the barn on the pregame interview, and I was asking him about his relationship with Coach Take, and they've had a history, and he said not really prior to the Big 12 Conference entrance of BYU, but when they started talking for the first time, Coach Take came to him and said, hey, I really like the way you guys do things, and I see a lot of similarities in your core principles, in, in the way stylistically you, you play defense, and, and he's like, I'd like to talk to you more. And Lance is like, you know what? I'd like to talk to you more. I, I really respect the way you guys do this, this, and that. And so, uh, even though they're not old friends, I think they could become fast ones because I think the, the core of their foundational, fundamental elements of their respective programs is very, very similar. And in many ways, the way we attack and go about doing things could be mirrored by the way BYU does it as well. So I think there's 
familiarity, not just in our previous opponent, but also in kind of the way we go about our business, too, which should make for a good matchup and a tight one come Saturday afternoon. Well, there's four games in Big 12 play before KU has the bye week. It's this game against BYU at Texas, back home against UCF, and then back on the road against Oklahoma State. Um, we, we've had a, a little, I don't know, preliminary talks about what would the number be where you would start taking Kansas seriously as a Big 12 title contender? Have you thought about that at all over these next four games? You know, what what do you think would be a realistic or a, a positive record uh, if if those are the expectations? If the expectations can be, can this team win eight or nine games? Can they be, you know, at least flirting with that Big 12 title contention conversation? Uh, what, what do you think that mark would, would look like and, and what level of play are we looking at over these next four weeks? Have I thought about it? Yes. And I started thinking about it when Jalen Daniels was on Hawk Talk last Wednesday, and I was asking him about goals for this season. And I really set up the question to be more individually based, how he wanted to improve as a quarterback, are there any tangible numbers you're shooting for with completion percentage, quarterback rating, that kind of thing. And unabashedly, first thing that came out of his mouth with total seriousness and, and very strong conviction of beliefs was, we want to win the Big 12 championship. We want to go to that Big 12 title game December the 2nd down in Dallas. And, I, I, you know, obviously that's the goal every team has every year, but how realistic is it for some teams compared to others? I think for Kansas, it's very realistic if in this first month window you're talking about, you go 3-1. and one. And what we've seen early on from Oklahoma State would indicate that that's not going to be quite the daunting task going into Stillwater that historically it's been for Kansas. I mean, that sometimes is going to uh, inside a house of horrors going down to Stillwater uh, with the way they play at home. But I think that becomes a more winnable game based on what we've seen thus far. And then, yeah, if, if you're talking about finishing as one of the top two teams in a 14-team league that gets the invite to the Big 12 tournament, or the Big 12 conference title game, I should say, then you got to win your home games. And you're going to be favored at home against both UCF and this week, obviously, versus BYU. And so I don't think it's too big of a stretch to talk about going 3-1 and one in that particular month. Now, if you go down to Austin and beat them for a second straight time in Austin, that flips the whole conference race on its ear. And then we're talking about Kansas in a completely different trajectory. Um, but, yeah, I think 3-1 and is realistic. I think, uh, keep in mind, you're not talking about finishing in, in first place in the standings at the end of the year, you're talking about finishing with the top two to get that invite. And uh, if your worst loss in one month in the league play was a road loss in Austin, uh, I think you'd still feel really good about where you're at. And should you get that game, holy moly, Kansas is in the catbird seat at that point. Look out. So that's that's a very realistic, attainable goal to take this season in chunks as, as you formatted your question. And, and I think it's a pivotal four-game stretch, but it's a realistic one that could propel Kansas very much into the thick of a deep race discussion. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports, Tim, Sports Talk. Hear him on the call of the game on Saturday at 2.30. Pre-game with the Crimson and Blue Show will start at 1 o'clock. Brian, I appreciate the time as always, man. And uh, before we let you go, word from Nate Miller. That's right. Just as the Jayhawks have their game plan for the BYU Cougars and uh, their sights set on a 
Big 12 league opening win. Nate Miller's got a great game plan for you. No matter what your current financial portfolio looks like, any investments you've made in the past or any investments you're anticipating making coming up, he wants to sit down, have a little financial chalk talk with you, and drop the plans for the most profitable and stable financial future for you and your loved ones. So check him out today. MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. Always a pleasure, guys. I hope it's uh, sunshine and rainbows for your countdown to kickoff show from 12 to 1 out there at Big Mill on Saturday, and hopefully the rain stays away all afternoon. But look forward to seeing you both. There we go. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, that was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thank you to Brian for hopping on the show, as always here. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. We got another edition of Lie Detector Test coming up on the other side. Jim Root of Three Man Weave in the College Basketball Almanac is going to talk some KU basketball, Big 12 college basketball preview with Jim coming up later in the 4 o'clock hour of 425. And we've got our KU football non-conference awards that we're going to give out at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. This is RCST, one hour down, two to go. Four o'clock hour, this is Rock Chuck Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, Jim Root is going to join the show coming up in 20 minutes to help us preview the college basketball season. We uh, also are going to have a KU football non-conference awards segment coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Before we do any of that, we've got a uh, fun little segment here called Lie Detector Test. If you're new to the segment, we basically look at what athletes, coaches, whoever, some people say and determine if we think they're lying or not because there there is a lot of uh, you know coach speak and lies that are told. True. Yes. And we... We are the police. As the, uh, the voice of truth... Yes. We will Voice bring you the truth. All right. First Obviously, up, you and I would never lie. No. Never. Never once. Ever. Uh, that's a lie right there. Okay. Justin Fields. <laughs> Justin Fields. We're not on the stand this week. We're good. Uh, Justin Fields acknowledged he has been playing too robotic. And then he was later asked for a kind of follow-up as part of the question, explanation why he believes it is that way. Direct quote, coaching. I think this is the truth, honestly. So my this is my honest evaluation of the situation. To me, this I, the only reason I could think of that just or one of the reasons that I could think of that Justin Fields would do something like this because the immediate reaction to this is well this is not something you say publicly blah blah blah, 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 blah you know and everyone got mad about it okay but I would assume then that what this this is my assumption of what I think the, the case might be. Justin Fields has maybe been telling his coaches this, like, hey, you know, the system's not working for me, yada, 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 X, Y, Z, like, I'm not, uh, it's not clicking for me, and, like, they should be able to see that in practice, right? That, that's why you practice, to see what's going on. My only assumption could be that Justin Fields must feel as though his voice is not being heard. Mm-hmm. And one way to ensure that your voice is heard is to go to the media and say something like this, because guess what? Then everyone is talking about it. Everyone's paying attention to it. And now it's under a microscope. And now if 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 there was deaf ears within the organization that weren't hearing what Justin Fields was saying behind closed doors, they certainly have to hear it now or understand it now. So that's what I that's kind of how I view this. It's like maybe Justin Fields has felt this way for a while and he just feels like and he has felt like nothing's changed and that you know there's no adjustments being made for how he wants to play. And so he makes this comment. 
That's 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 my guess. Yeah. Okay. So he he later did a media availability at the locker room. I'm sure part of this was just because the Bears were basically like, like "Hey, we got to put out this fire." Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It was, it, it, exactly that. Um, and he later kind of recanted it, and you know was like, "Oh, we're not pointing finger. All this stuff. Whatever." I think this first comment was the truth. I think the second comment was basically, yeah, trying to cover your butt. And now, now here's the thing: this might be the truth. At least it's his truth. This might be the truth. This is not something you can say to the media. This is not something at all you can say. I, I don't. I disagree with that. I think if it's if the if you feel that way, say it. Say it with your chest. If that's how you feel. Yeah. That's, I, that's I my guess. Opinion. That, that, that's like going to cause problems in the locker room. It's going to pro- cause problems with the coaches. Keep that to yourself is my opinion on this. Okay, now, well, if you keep it to yourself, then you just suck. This might now, be his truth. You suck, then it's like, it, you know, people understand but, why okay, you suck. Here's the other thing. If you're the leader of the team, you got to take accountability. You cannot, like, do you ever see Patrick Mahomes going, you know, that play was a mess because Andy <laughs> Reid had a bad play call. I'm just going to say it. Like, no, you take accountability for what you can do. Here's the thing. Even if your coaches do suck, do something about it. This be better. Be better. It comes down to a question of, do you try your hardest to just play within whatever system you're in? Or are you saying, no, the system needs to be more built to my to what I do? I guess. Right? So I guess if you want to say it's like, well, Justin Fields is being selfish. Okay, but here's because the thing. he wants to play his way and the coaches are telling him to play a different way and it's not working. His way at times was very exciting last year. He ran for like 1,200 yards. Really exciting. Guess what? They they were one of the worst teams in the NFL. They had the first pick. They had the first pick before they traded down. So, uh, and I'm now they're worse the this year. Okay, but I'm sorry that the coaching staff is trying to get you to improve by making you do other things that more normal quarterbacks do. And yes, maybe there hits a certain point where they say, okay, let's just try to you know, tailored to Justin, but at the end of the day, they tried to do that last year, and they were the worst team in the NFL. (laughs) And guess what? They're a worse team this year. Yeah. They are worse Either way, they're screwed, which tells me that, hey, maybe it's not just the coaching. Yeah, coaching's probably a part of it. Maybe part of it's on Justin Fields. You're out on Justin Fields. Yes, I I think he sucks. Yeah, I kind of (laughs) do. Okay, uh, lie detector test. Mike Tomlin on the Fire Matt Canada, who is their offensive coordinator uh, from the crowd. The crowd actually started chanting Fire Canada during the Monday Night Football game. (laughs) Quote, I appreciate their passion. This is the sports entertainment business. It's our job to win and thus entertain them. We don't begrudge them for that. We want them to we want them to fat and sassy and spoiled. That's our job. Uh I feel like this is the truth, right? I don't know, maybe the fat sassy spoiled part is a little over the top, but still truthful, I guess. I don't know. First my first thought was that's kind of rude to the country of Canada. Fire all of Canada. That's not right. uh, the coordinator's name is Matt Canada. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like this is the truth. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, uh, I think he's just being pretty honest about the situation. Like, we're trying to win. Now, the thing is, is like, the Steelers won the game. Yeah. So maybe shut up. Well, this is all truth, but also this isn't actually answering the question about, like, is Matt Canada on the hot seat or should you fire I guess him? That's fair. This is not him saying like okay, but now we're now we're in, back in a catch twenty two with the Justin Fields Bears conversation. Yeah, this is, should you fire Matt Canada no, because right. Kenny Pickett sucks? I just don't think Matt Canada is a very good coordinator, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't know. But is it uh, you know? Is but it, no, I don't think you, are you putting the cart for the horse? Is it Kenny Pickett or is it Matt Canada? Why not both? <laughs> All right, uh, this one, Kyler Murray. I'm itching to get back. I won't let us down. This is the truth about Call of Duty. Coming out okay. in like five weeks. Truth. He won't let the squad down. Uh, if you squad up with Kyler Murray though. in Call of Duty, he won't let you down. Oh, wait, football? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. This wait, is what, he posted a video to his wait, TikTok account. Foot, this is about football. Yes. Oh, dude, lie. Hundred percent lie. Oh man, I, dude, I thought we were talking about Call. Of, I thought this turned into a, a different show for a second. I thought we were talking about Call of Duty. Yeah, he definitely oh. will at some point. Let football, down, right? Oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean, and he won't let you down easy either. I mean, he, I mean, I think it's safe to say Kyler Murray's career is is almost over, right? What? Don't you think so? No way. You don't think so? No, no way. Dude, what, he's he's a short, crappy quarterback. I don't think he's a crappy quarterback. He's not a great quarterback, but like, he's he makes good highlight plays. He he. I think he's an above average. Oh, he average makes good highlight plays. Dude, Daniel Jones just got a ridiculous extension. <laughs> he is way better than him. <laughs> yeah, how can you even say that? Kyler Murray hasn't played football in like over a year. I mean, but from the the sample that we have, like, I mean, uh, the two previous. Like, okay, the Cardinals went to the playoffs with Kyler Murray. Like, let's not forget that. He was the offensive rookie of the year in year one. He was a pro bowler in year two and year three, and then he gets hurt in year four. For his career, 84 touchdowns and 41 interceptions. Like, that's solid. That's fine. Um, you know, the passing yards per game. So fine. you think he's just going to come back and be fine? I think he is, like, somewhere between, like, the 10th to 15th best quarterback in the NFL. Those guys stick around for a long time. Now, maybe he doesn't have much staying power because maybe his body breaks down sooner with, with his size. And but also like, he's 5'7". Dude, he's not even close. There's oh, so many quarterbacks that are worse than him. And also he's 5'1". And also he's 4'9". And also he's 4'6". Would you like to keep And also he's 4'3". Okay, there we go. All right, uh, Blue Jays starter Yusei Kikuchi. He uh, had a good start going earlier this week. Five innings. He you know, had a good amount of strikeouts and everything. And then he uh, had to get pulled from the game. Why, you might ask? Well, he had a cramp that went on. Left the game with cramps. Okay. And he said afterwards that the reason he believed that he had the cramp and had to leave the game was that he only got 11 hours of sleep last night instead of his usual 13 or 14. What? That's insane. Wait, what? That's crazy. He has since come out and said that that comment was taken a bit out of context in that he only gets 13 or 14 hours of sleep on nights before he pitches. And that he gets somewhere between like 10 to 12 hours on nights that he doesn't pitch. Uh, that still is a ton of sleep, though. That's insane. He said he usually goes to bed around 11 p.m. and wakes up at 1 p.m. What? <laughs> what? So is he just screwed the, if, it's wait, a, if it's a day game? Does Tampa Bay not have any... Well, he's with the Blue Jays. Oh, I mean the Blue Jays. Sorry. Yeah. Blue Jays. Does, does, does Toronto not have anything they ever do in the mornings? Like, you don't have morning meetings well, depends or on morning players. Some players whatever. have morning workouts. Some players will go for a morning run. Some players will show up early and do batting practice. It's, it's player-dependent, whatever gets you most ready, right? Um, but you're telling me they never have a single meeting where it's like, hey, we need you to be in the in the building by, you know, 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. He also said, uh, like, because some people were asking him, like, how do you even stay asleep that long? And he was like, I don't know. It's easy. You just close your eyes. <laughs> No, I listen. For people who have trouble sleeping, that's that's, that's yeah. my biggest criticism. Just close your eyes. No, I have trouble. You close your eyes and then you just sit there for like an hour, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you wake up, you're tossing and turning, just sleep. you can't fall asleep. You what do you can't. mean? Just just go to bed. Just switch. sleep. Just close your eyes and sleep. Your thoughts that are racing through your mind, and then you start getting stressed and you think about. You other don't want things. to know one thing about that. Actually, I actually believe this helps. If you're having, if you're closing your eyes, and having trouble sleeping, you're supposed to get up and like walk around and like hmm. move, and like do something else for like a few minutes, and then get back into bed. Interesting. So try that. Okay. We'll give that a try. Like, if, you, if you close your eyes, you can't sleep. I have that or I'm going to get out of bed. Call with you, say like, Kikuchi. Get, you know, walk around a little bit. Do, like, literally remove yourself from the bed <laughs> for like a few minutes. 
and then come back and get back into bed. Dude, I, I think I've only slept, because 13 or 14 hours, I think I've only slept that long consecutively, like twice in my life, and both times where I was like viciously sick. Yeah. And you just, you know, pass yeah, out I don't for think, a while. I don't honestly think that that's very healthy to sleep that much. Just I don't like, know. Normally. Yeah. Because, like, I, I mean, I don't know, like, my thing is like my body clock. Like I will just, I'll just wake yes. up. I wake up when I'm used to waking up, exactly. even if it's on you a know, weekend. If I go to bed at an extra twenty minutes, if I go to but, bed yeah. at you know ten thirty p.m. or eleven p.m. like I, you know, like I would normally do. Even on the weekends, I wake, I wake up at seven thirty or seven, yeah, which is what time I normally wake up or eight. So I don't normally sleep much longer beyond that. Yeah, which I think that's more healthy. I think you're supposed to have a more consistent body clock schedule. Well, but I don't know. It's working for him. He's having a good year. I. I I'm hard pressed to call that a lie because I feel like he probably <laughs> no, knows how much he how much he sleeps. It's not a lie. Yeah, I don't think it's a lie. Right? Why would he lie about how much he sleeps? Just a wild. All right, uh, Blake Snell was pulled after he had a no hitter going through seven innings. He might be the front runner right now to win NL Cy Young for the Padres. Uh, it was a game though after he got pulled, no hitter got lost, and the Padres eventually lost the game. <laughs> and that's probably Blake Snell's last home start for San Diego. He's a free agent at the end of the season. Here's what he said on it after the game: It's just going to be a lot of pitches. I'm a guy that understands my body really well and understands the risk-reward of injury with pushing it. With how hard I was throwing today, it's not worth it. Do you think he's lying uh, to cover up for his coach like Justin Fields did not do? Oh, I see what you're saying. So you think he's basically, even if he felt like he could go longer, yes. he just was like, ah, you know, my body wasn't up for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. The thing with Blake Snell is like, he came from Tampa Bay, right? Snellzilla. Tampa, yeah. Bay, Tampa Bay organization? Yes. Well, the Tampa Bay organization is known for doing wild, crazy stuff. Yes, if you stuff. remember, Blake Snell was the one in Game 6 of the World Series against the Dodgers, was dominating the Dodgers for like five or six innings, yeah. and they pulled him early, yep. and he was outspoken about that he would have liked to stay into the game, and they ended up losing the game. So maybe so maybe Blake Snell doesn't care anymore. He you think that's what passion. it is? He's been conditioned? <laughs> or do you think maybe that gives us evidence the, that if he the, really the did... Rays, the brainwashed him. No, see, I, th- I think that gives you evidence. Thinking, oh, I just need to do whatever analytics says. No, I think this is what it is. That's the World Series. Okay. I mean, you could make the case that that gives you evidence that if he was mad about it, he would have said something about it. So maybe that makes this not a lot. But I think this is what it is. That was the World Series. That's do or die. This, he realized the Padres are not a playoff team. He's suck. about to get paid a bunch of money this offseason. He's a free agent. And he's like, yeah, take me out whenever. I don't want to yeah. get hurt. No, that's fair. I wouldn't want to get hurt either. I know. I wouldn't either. If I'm about to make, you know, a couple hundred million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh... Okay, I, so truth. Yes, truth. We got a lot of truth here today. I agree. Okay, uh, last one. Rafael Nadal. He uh, was talking about who is the GOAT of tennis, which is a big debate. You have, you know, Djokovic, you got yep. Federer, you yep. got not, Nadal, who all have their own different strengths and weaknesses. Yep. Here's what Nadal said. I believe that numbers are numbers and statistics are statistics. Fact. In that sense, I think Djokovic has better numbers than mine, and that is indisputable. Also true, yeah. This is the truth. The rest are tastes, inspirations, sensations that one or the other may transmit to you, that you may like one or the other more. I think that with respect to titles, Djokovic is the best in history, and there's nothing to discuss about that. Wow. Now, this is different than you can't apply this same case for, like, team sports. Because individual sport, it is an easy measurement to just be like, oh, I won. It is just me. You know, (laughs) so you can't do this for every sport. But, yeah, I think uh, that's truth. And normally you don't see. kind of agree. Yeah, you normally don't see, like, athletes be that, I don't know. I want to frame the comment, I believe that numbers are numbers and statistics are statistics. (laughs) I want to, like, frame that. (laughs) They are what they are. They are nothing more, nothing less. Yes. 
All right, we're going to preview the college basketball season, little Kansas basketball, Big 12 basketball, college basketball talk coming up on the other side. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Jim Root joins us next on the other side. Well, college basketball season is a little closer than you might think. I believe from uh, this Friday, three weeks away from late night in the fog. And also, there is a awesome college basketball preview magazine that is officially out now. That's the College Basketball Almanac. Jim Root of Three Man Weave, awesome college basketball podcast. Highly recommend that if you're looking to keep up with what's going on around the country. Uh, who also helps and contributes, as does all the rest of the members of the Three Man Weave. Uh, joins us now on the show. This is our third straight year having Jim on. I always love having these conversations to get us uh, kind of... I don't know, ready for the college basketball season. Um, Jim, I appreciate the time and, and hope everything's going well for you today. Uh, I, I guess we'll just start locally here with Kansas. Uh, number two in the Almanac in the preseason top 25 there. I was looking at the top 100 players today and uh, I think three basically in the top 50. Kevin McCuller just outside of it. What, what are some of your thoughts on on the ceiling versus the floor of what this Kansas team can be this year and, and what would cause those two things to happen? Yeah, I, I think Kansas is in great shape. I, like like you said, number two in the Almanac, and I think at least uh, four people on the staff picked them to win the national title. So, you know, there's the ceiling right there, is winning a second title in three years. And with those three top 50 guys, Dickinson is a top three guy, likely first team All-American. Dwan Harris, like just the consummate point guard, has gotten a little better every single season. And then McCuller, yeah, getting him back for a fifth year was, was enormous. It's a pretty high floor, too, in my opinion. Uh, from that perspective, the defense is going to be fantastic. And you've got three guys in the starting lineup with K.J. Adams, Dewan Harris, and McCuller that are elite at their position defensively and can kind of guard different positions, especially when you look at McCuller and Adams. And then Harris is just like the best on-ball tone setter maybe in the country in that regard. And then it's just, you know, kind of a matter of, uh, from a ceiling perspective, how good does the offense get? Hunter Dickinson is going to be hyper productive, and, and there's really, you know, few coaches in the country, maybe Matt Painter, that is as good as Bill Self is at getting uh, a big man to produce and putting them in really positive positions on the block. I mean, for years, I think about those, those high-low offenses that Bill Self ran with two bigs and yeah, he's adapted to the modern game in some ways, but with a true center like he has now, they're going to play through Dickinson quite a bit. Uh, is there enough shooting around him? That's going to be kind of a constant question that's asked about Kansas. I'm sure you guys have discussed it ad nauseum, but uh, like, does Nick Timberlake really step in and contribute there coming up from Towson? Uh, what about El Marco Jackson, Johnny Furphy? Can those guys as freshmen contribute a little bit in that regard? Does DeWan Harris continue taking the step? I know he was really efficient from deep last year, but it was a lot of wide open attempts where, where defenses were, you know, kind of sacrificing that and allowing it. But if, if that evolves around Dickinson and, and his own jump shot continues to improve to, to help the spacing, then the sky is the limit because the defense is going to be great. And, and I think the offense has a fairly high floor, but that that's where the ceiling unlocks is if the, uh, the shooting figures things out around a central force like Dickinson. Yeah, and I agree. The, the two big questions is depth and the shooting, which if you can make it into March healthy with your top guys, I, I don't think depth matters a ton, but maybe getting through the regular season, who knows. Um, now, around the Big 12, you know, going through the rankings, Houston is in the top five for you guys, and uh, obviously the Big 12 continues to be this 
I don't know, bear of a conference. So we'll see how the, the scheduling changes change things up in, in terms of making things different this year from, from that area, but still a lot of really talented teams. Who, who are the teams that you're giving the best chance to maybe take a share or take the title from uh, Kansas in the Big 12 this season? Yeah, I think Houston is the really interesting one because they've been so good for so many years in the American. And I had a coach say to me, sometimes the identity of a league evolves from the best team. And I think that's what happened in the American was, you know, a couple of big guys out there, really physical shooting had kind of fallen off in the American. It wasn't as bad last year. I think two years ago, it was the worst three point shooting team or conference in the country. And so Houston like had figured out how to dominate that league year after year. They were right, right at the top. And now they come over to the big 12 and, and granted, you know, one of their best players is going to be a, a familiar foe for big 12 people with, with LJ Cryer coming over from Baylor. But, you know, they've got a point guard back who's a bulldog, Jamal Shedd. You know, he's, he's right up there with Harris in terms of uh, on-ball defenders in the country. they got the physical, active front line. they got a couple shooters and, and some younger guys that have a lot of upside. Emmanuel Sharp, Terrence Arsenault. It, one thing that's odd for Houston is they're not super big up front. Uh, Francis uh, and J1 Roberts are more like 6'8 guys. You know, they don't have like the towering 7-foot presence that a lot of other Big 12 teams bring to the table. So that one's interesting to me. Uh, they're, they're high floor defensively as well. They've got to figure out offensive question marks. Baylor, they've got scoring guards, but they're going to be really reliant on a freshman. And Jacoby Walter, we'll see what he's able to deliver right away. Uh, and then Texas, I think, is kind of a really high-variance team where the floor actually might be a little lower compared to some of the high Big 12 teams because they're going to be relying on a guard from Oral Roberts and Max Aismas, who made himself a household name because he's an incredible offensive player, but he is nowhere near the defender that a lot of other other teams have at the point. And they've got some question marks with injuries. I saw John Rothstein tweeted today. Their two centers, Dylan Disu and Caden Shedrick, don't have timelines yet coming back from injury, which is a little bit concerning for Texas, where if it all comes together for them, they could get up in that competition. But uh, I think there's kind of a low floor there with the injury concerns and some of the, the translatability concerns with, with Ace Smith going up to the Big 12. All right, I've got kind of a three-part question here, but I'll ask you just segmented out here so, so that we don't get too confused with anything. But um, I, I'm curious if there's a Big 12 team that you're highest on, lowest on, and, and maybe just a Big 12 team that you're having the toughest time figuring out if they're going to be good or bad or where they're going to fall in the range. Let's start with a team that maybe you feel like you're higher than uh, consensus or, or where some of your peers who helped you uh, put together the, the College Basketball Almanac. Uh, is there a Big 12 team that they feel higher on than most? Definitely. It's probably a tug of war for me between Kansas State and Texas Tech. I think they're both in really good shape heading into the year. Uh, but Texas Tech's probably the, the one that maybe is a little more of an unconventional answer, especially after last year. You know, they changed coaches. They bring in Grant McCaslin for Mark Adams. I just really like what they did in the portal to fit McCaslin's identity. Uh, North Texas, they were known as a really kind of slow, defensive team. And he brings in Warren Washington from a couple top 25, 30 defenses at Arizona State. He's going to hold down the fort in the paint. He's that seven-footer uh, you know, that I mentioned that Houston doesn't have. Uh, they got a couple other really good defenders, uh, one from Nevada, another, Cambridge. Uh, Devin Cambridge also came in there. And McCaslin's just a brilliant coach. He's won everywhere he's been. Uh, another very similar to Baylor in the defensive approach with the pack line. And, or not pack line, excuse me, no middle. They're going to force you baseline, and it's a really good scheme. Now, they're going to struggle to score. That's going to be Texas Tech's issue, but they're going to drag a lot of teams into rock fights, and that's just a tough place to play, Lubbock. So I think they're going to get some big wins at home. 
Uh, and the defense is going to translate on the road to where, you know, maybe not going to ascend all the way to, up towards the, the conference title battle, but I think they're uh, a definite NCAA tournament team because of the defense with maybe some upside for more. Uh, what about a team that you feel like you're lower on, that you, you're kind of the Debbie Downer on? And yeah, there's a couple. It, honestly, this one hurts because I was such a big cheerleader for him last year, but, but TCU is one I'm a little skeptical of. You know, they couldn't shoot last year. That was the fatal flaw for a team that started to speed things up and really excel in transition. And I don't think they solved that this offseason. And they bring in Avery Anderson from Oklahoma State, interconference transfer. He's not really a shooter. Jameer Nelson from Delaware is a super talented player, but I'm not sure he's going to like blow things away in the Big 12 as a scorer. And the one shooter they really brought in was Travion Tennyson from Texas A&M Corpus Christi, who has you know, played in two NCAA tournaments. That's, that's valuable. But it's a much lower level. I, I think he's going to be more of a role player for them off the bench and not really add the shooting. So they're more like, okay, pretty solid. I know the defense is going to be there. they got a bunch of big wings that can guard different guys. But the offensive feeling really concerns me. And you take away Mike Miles, the guy who was really the one that made it go last year, and they struggled when he was out with that knee injury. And I think it could be a little dicier for TCU this year without that, that big-time lead guard. I'm just not quite buying Nelson in that role. All right, I have an inkling of a, of a guess on this last one, who it's going to be, because you haven't mentioned him yet, and uh, based on the what happened with the coach and, and all the transfers, is is your the team that you're having the uh, toughest time figuring out? Is it West Virginia, or is it somebody else? Yeah, I, I think that's the right answer. I don't know a ton about Josh Eiler, and I, I know who he's coached under and stuff, but like we haven't seen it translate onto the court. I haven't seen the way his team's value possessions do they take good shots do they take care of the ball do they rotate well defensively so i don't know that yet and the roster's kind of bizarre i mean jose perez hasn't played in quite a while and wasn't very good at a high major when he was at marquette i think jesse edwards is fantastic as a center but he's been the anchor of a 2-3 zone not the way west virginia is going to play defense so he's got a big change to undergo despite averaging a double double in the acc and Raekwon Battles, a super talented player, started his career at Washington and was great at Montana State, but this is the Big 12. So it, there's a lot of different directions that team could go. I, I tend to be more on the, the, the pessimistic side, but I, I think there's upside if they figure things out, and Eilert's a lot better than I give them credit for. So that is a team that, you know, I, I give a team a numerical rating in the preseason, and theirs, I, I have one. But it is not with any confidence, and I will move off that rating quickly if I see some either great or, or bad early returns. Uh, we're joined by uh, Jim Root here, Three Man Weave. Check out the podcast. Get the uh, College Basketball Almanac as well. Uh, we did this last year. I, I hope you're game for this again. I've got some uh, college basketball. I'm going to give you some uh, superlatives or, or preseason awards, just different things that uh, maybe are a little uh, more quirky or, or unique. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. All right. Uh, first up, program that has not made a Final Four with a chance or the best chance to do it this year. Which of these four? Tennessee, Alabama, Creighton, or Xavier? I, well, I, I was wondering if you are going to get me booed off the, the program if I just said Mizzou and, and ran. But, <laughs> uh, I, I, think, uh, I think of that group. I'm saying Creighton. I'm picking them to the Final Four in the preseason. I, I love that roster. I think Kalkbrenner is such a great Rim protector score inside, and I know Nemhard left to go to Gonzaga and Columa left to Kansas State, but I'm okay with Columa leaving, and I like the, the replacement they got at point guard. Stephen Ashworth coming from Utah State made 111 threes last year at 43%. Just gives them another degree of shooting to go with Alexander and Shireman 
around that fixture of Kaufman and the paint. I, I love Creighton. I think they've got a great chance to be awesome this year. A Big Ten coach who has not made a second weekend with the best chance this year. Fran McCaffrey at Iowa, Brad Underwood at Illinois, Chris Collins at Northwestern. I, I kind of, you know, I'll throw this in there. Uh, Chris Holtman hasn't made a second weekend at Ohio State. I think he made one at Butler one year when they were a four seed, but at Ohio State. So I'll, I'll give you that one too. You have four options there. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. Brad Underwood at Illinois. Uh, I just think that that team is is made a little better for postseason success. I, I, I did think this last year, and you know they obviously flamed out in the first round, and uh, but just not being built around a big guy the way that a lot of the Big Ten teams are. You know, you see Purdue and, and how focused they are on shooting the ball to the center and the success or, or lack thereof that they've had in the tournament. It, Illinois is just more versatile, more wingy. They've got a lot of different lineups they can play. Now, point guard is still an unsolved problem, and then maybe they're going to run Terrence Shannon there or, or Ty Rogers is kind of like a jumbo guard, point guard situation. They don't have a pure ball handler distributor. But I just like the flexibility that they have, and Underwood's had some really tough draws in, in the tournament. Getting Arkansas was like a top-15 Ken Palm team the year before. They had Houston in the first round, who was, or the second round, excuse me, who was like a top-five team, and then... Uh, Loyola Chicago was a top 10 team as an eight or nine seed the year that Illinois had a one. So uh, eventually I think that stuff's going to even out. Uh, maybe they get a better draw this year. And I just like the makeup of the roster. I think Illinois gets to a second weekend. Uh, coach who needs a good tournament run the most. I, I know you guys talk a lot about during, you know, three man weave. And, and I tend to agree with this, that, you know, you can't totally judge coaches based on the tournament because weird stuff happens all the time. Look at the total body of work. That said, uh, I think probably there's going to be a little pressure for these three guys on the tournament. So which one needs the run the most? John Calipari, Matt Painter, or John Shire? I will go Calipari. And I think it's because, you know, like like you said, I always I back out with that caveat. Oh, don't judge too much about the tournament. But at Kentucky, that's what you're judged on. And he has not made a Sweet 16 in quite a while. I believe it's like six years. Uh, maybe they would have made it in the COVID year, but you never know. And I think I wrote this in our top storylines on the Almanac. The last time uh, Kentucky went this long without a Sweet 16 appearance, they fired two coaches. So it, it is not really in their history to have this big of a drought in, in terms of seeing a second weekend. Now, Calipari's got a great contract. It's going to be really tough to fire him, but I think they're, he's at least really going to start feeling the heat if they again have uh, a flame out in the NCAA tournament because that, that school just craves success. They expect it, and, and they invest in it. So I, I think Calipari is the one there. All right, this might be my favorite question I'm about to ask. Me and my uh, my co-host were uh, having fun with this question ourselves off air. Um, so I actually love the non-commitment to positions that you guys did on the College Basketball Almanac with, with everybody who voted on that, uh, where it was just best five players. And so because of that, you end up with kind of a wonky first team where you have three centers on it. You have Hunter Dickinson, Zach Eady, and Ryan Kalkbrenner. And then you also have a uh, power forward with Kyle Filipowski. You have the one guard on there with Tyler Kolek. Uh, my hypothetical question here, let's say that was an actual team starting five. Obviously, they'd have to play some sort of zone on defense. You can figure out what type of zone, one three one two three box, and I don't know, whatever. How good would that team be if that was a team starting five and they were you know, all playing, whatever, 28, 30-plus minutes per game? Oh, man, I, probably not that good, <laughs> I don't think, because, because like you said, it, it's just going to be weird defensively to figure that out. Uh, I think Kalkbrenner does okay in space. Filipowski was actually pretty good in pick-and-roll stuff last year, but Dickinson and Edie would really struggle to, to be mobile around the 
consider, I think he'd probably have to keep Dickinson as close to the paint as possible and, and beg Edie and Kalkbrenner to, to figure it out on the perimeter. And then offensively, your spacing is going to be garbage with Edie and Dickinson out there. Kalkbrenner can't space the floor either. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, smart coaches would actually enjoy game planning against that, despite the rebounding onslaught that it would be on both ends. Yeah, we were trying to figure out how they would play, and, and we kind of came down to, okay, maybe you do a 2-3 zone, you got Edie in the middle, you just stick Dickinson and Kalkbrenner into the corners and just hope that, like, you know, lengthy, tall hands bother shooters in the corner. And uh, then on the offensive side of the ball, like, maybe Hunter Dickinson is just a spot-up shooter, I, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's a mess, but I think it'd be fun to watch. I think Hunter Dickinson would, would totally accept that role. I think he'd be all about it. He'd be like, yeah, you want to stick me in the corner and fire up 100 threes? I'll do that. It'd be great. It'd be great. Uh, okay, here, here's an interesting one. I don't know if this is one you can think of off the top of your head, but uh, most fun player under six feet tall. Does somebody come to mind in the country with that? Ooh, I think Tyler Perry's listed at 5'11", so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that one. He's the new point guard at uh, Kansas State. I, I know that's probably not exciting to hear for, for Kansas fans, but he is awesome. He's playing in one of the slowest teams in the country last year, but he still led the nation in three-pointers made. Uh, just a lights-out little guy with, with kind of a toughness and a winning mentality. He won a national title in junior college. Uh, they won the NIT last year at North Texas. We're, we're great in the CUSA playing at that speed. Now I think getting to crank it up a little bit in Jerome Tang's system, you know, he's not Marquise Noel in terms of just kind of like the razzle-dazzle, but he's fun, he's effective, and he's just a, a big-time shot maker late in games. He had a bunch of, like, go-ahead buckets in the final 30 seconds, buzzer beaters at North Texas because of the way they played. Games are always close. Uh, he's a killer. I think he's going to be fun to watch there, and hopefully uh, people can put their neutral hats on when, when they watch the Purple Cats and, and enjoy what he does. Who is the most fun player over seven feet tall? Ooh, man, I, like it's probably a boring answer, but I'm going to say Edie just because he's such a force of nature, uh, that right hook that everybody knows is coming. He's good at getting to it. He's gotten a little better in space defensively uh, it's not he's not great that's that's for sure but uh he's not totally like it put him in pick and roll after pick and roll and and just you know reap the benefits i, I just kind of like the fact and maybe maybe my favorite part of him is that he makes free throws where somebody that size you always think you can hack them and send them to the line and you, you'll get you know maybe he'll make one but he's you know up 75 percent really punishes you for it and, and for me that part is actually fun so i'll give it to Edie. All right, is there a, a mid-major player or two that people should be on the lookout for this year that could have a, a really fun season or, or just kind of fun to watch that maybe uh, is a little under the radar? Yeah, I wish I wish uh, Ace Smith was still at Oral Roberts. That, that was an easy answer for the last couple of years. Uh, one is, is Tucker DeVries at Drake. Um, he's playing for his dad, you know, one of the better coaches in that conference, and DeVries is probably going to be the preseason player of the year. And he's kind of this big jumbo guard. He's clearly grown up with the ball in his hands because he's a coach's son, but he's like 6'7", 225, hard to match up with. I think there are some people that think he could be a pro down the line. And he's, he claimed, I think, this year that he's going to use his entire eligibility. He's not going to go pro early no matter what, wants to play for his dad. Uh, so I think that's going to be a relatively fun one there. Um, and there's maybe not a specific guy, but as a mid-major team, I'd look out for Yale this year. They are, they are loaded. They're well-coached. They bring back four double-digit scores from a team that won the league last year and heartbreakingly lost a road game in the conference tournament to Princeton. 
We obviously all saw what Princeton did in the NCAA tournament, but Yale is, they're really, really tough. They've got a bunch of versatile scores, a couple shooters, and, and uh, a point guard that's tough as nails. So Yale, I think, is, is a team worth watching. And to your point on Drake, uh, I was all in on them, up, them upsetting Miami. I still don't know how they lost that game, but uh, who knows what that would have changed with how the bracket would have worked out after that. Um, yeah, it would have changed my wallet, Derek. I'll say that. I, I was all over Drake with you as well. <laughs> yes. No, that would have been nice. Okay, on to the uh, betting side of this thing. Uh, do you have a favorite national player of the year bet, or is this just something to completely avoid? Because, I, I mean, it's hard for Zach Eating not to average similar numbers because he is just so gigantic. Yeah, I think his numbers are going to be there. I think the, the way he doesn't win is if people are just kind of like mm. bored and there's a little voter fatigue. I think the the best bet was wherever Donovan Klingon opened. I think he was somewhere up in you know like fifty to one. He's been bet down. I'm seeing twenty to one uh, at one sports book right now. But there's a chance that he takes kind of the ED type lead now that he's going to play a lot more minutes. Uh, he was a high usage guy in his role last year. He's a dominant shot blocker, seven foot two. Probably could have been a, a fair answer for the most fun player over seven feet. Uh, and I, I watched him shoot threes in the warmups at Final Four last year, and I was like, that that stroke looks good. I don't know if he's going to do it this year. I don't know if they're going to unleash him or or if he's even you know going to have the confidence. But he's at least capable, and I think that's the kind of guy that you know reigning national champion. If they win the Big East and he emerges into a dominant force, that he could contest. Edie for that award is almost like Edie 2.0. Maybe that's how you pitch him to voters. Yeah, I think that's a good one. My co-host likes to joke his last name is Klingon because he is just a freak of nature. He's like an alien. He's so good. (laughs) He's just insane. Um, Okay. uh, I like that. What about a favorite title bet in terms of not necessarily it could be your pick, it might not be, but maybe the best value bet on the board for uh, winning a national title? I, I think if you, it, it sounds crazy as, as a, a team to make this kind of a repeat run, but like FAU is awesome and, and they bring everybody back and they're a team that's better in the postseason. I think, uh, you know, kind of the inverse of Purdue where Purdue like has to play through a big man, not really versatile. FAU can play any style of game. And if you get them up 50 to one, I think I, I got them, I want to say 60 or 70 to one early in the off season. If you shop around, you might be able to find those odds. But they've got so many different guards that can each take the ball and, and, and score or attack, and you can attack weaker defenders. We saw against Tennessee, Vlad Golden can be the guy you play through, a dominant center that started at Texas Tech. They've got a backup center that, that fits in well, and, and Dusty May is a great game planner in postseason. Uh, I know they barely escaped Memphis in the first round. I think that's because Memphis was awesome. But uh, I think FAU is maybe just not getting – bumped up into the, the top 10 or so conversation of odds because of who they are and, and the name on the front of the jersey. But the guys they have back with the coach, I, I think they're going to be right back in the mix, uh, assuming they handle the rigors of, of the Americans stepping up in the league. Yeah, maybe similar to the uh, Brad Stevens-Butler back-to-back run. Uh, what about a final four value bet? Is there somebody there that maybe you could have fun with or, or could see going on some sort of crazy run? Texas Tech is worth a look there just because I love the defense. And if you want to go even further down, I think maybe the, the craziest one we've talked ourselves into this, this offseason is California. And <laughs> they went 3-29 and last year, so I'm gonna, I'll hand up and, and let you know that right off the bat. But they also changed almost their entire roster. They brought in a new coach, Mark Madsen, who had Utah Valley as like nearly a top-50 team per Ken Palm's rankings. And he brought in a couple guys from Texas Tech that the KU fans are probably familiar with, Fardaz Amak and Jalen Tyson, uh, point guard Jalen Cohn that started his career at Virginia Tech and then scored a ton of points at Northern Arizona. 
uh, and Keontae Kennedy from Memphis. So they've got real high major talent. Now, they still have to get to the tournament, and I think they're like a 1,000-to-1 to win the thing, and so Final Four is probably super crazy long odds, too. But I, I just think that it's a lot better than it was last year, and, and there's a chance they could uh, ascend in a Pac-12 that after the top four-ish teams is, is really kind of shaky. He is Jim Root. You can check him out with Three Man Weave. It's an awesome college basketball podcast. Also, uh, Jim, how, how do people get it? Where, where do they go to get the uh, College Basketball Almanac? Yeah, that's uh, cbbalmanac.com. So CBB, of course, for college basketball. cbbalmanac.com. We've got over 1,300 words on every single team. Talked to, I think, 359 head coaches. I know we're saying everyone, but we might have missed one or two that, that just weren't able to get a hold of. we got some assistance on those. A uh, bunch of national content, top 20 backcourts, top 20 frontcourts, um, top 100 players, All-Americans, like you said, title picks, anything you could want. In a preseason magazine, we've got it. Uh, every conference ranked, every team previewed. So e- even the ones that Kansas is playing at home and by games, I think it's worth getting it. You get a little scouting report. You go to the game and you know exactly what to expect from the opponent. So highly encourage getting that. It's only nineteen ninety nine. I think it's, it's worth every dollar with the amount uh, of, of sweat and tears that we poured into it this offseason. That's right. And there's a little tidbit about maybe who's the uh, front runner to start at the two position. I love the uh, the layout and look of it. Last year, I liked the PDF because I could you know, bring it with me on the computer, but it's all online now and I uh, really love the look of everything. Jim, I appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, have a great rest of your college basketball season and uh, maybe see you in Lawrence down the road when KU's playing Missouri this year. That'd be great. Thank you for having me on, Derek. I appreciate it. And let, let's make this an annual thing. Looking forward to it. There we go. Thanks again, Jim. All right, Jim Root, College Basketball Almanac, three-man weave, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thank you to Jim for coming on the show. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a quick timeout. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. High School Sports Weekly tonight at 6 o'clock. That'll lead into pregame coverage for Lawrence High Football. But you can hear the Lions right here on KLWN Adelaide East. I'll be on the call with Matt Llewellyn. Nick will be out at High School Sports Weekly over at Mama's Tamale Shop. We're back with another week of football, and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Football is more fun when you're in on the action, so download the app now and sign up with code KLWN. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. All you got to do, go to DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code KLWN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 21 and older. Physically present in Kansas. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. Okay, so uh, we're going to do a fun little thing here. Uh, the non-con is over for KU. We're for through three games of the season. Yeah. We're going to yeah. give out some awards, some uh, awards oh, through the awards. non-conference start of the season. I love awards. Okay, to the KU. Do football. I get an award? Uh, you can get an award for the most Nick Springer in Lawrence. How about that? You don't even know if there's another one in Lawrence. There might be. I don't, but I think you're the most. So that's <laughs> what good, does that even mean? You're the most Nick Springer of the Nick <laughs> Springers. What's wrong with that? I mean, I guess I'll accept it. I don't want to seem... 
you know, too crass. I don't want to turn down an award, but I'm not exactly thrilled. Yeah. I feel like I'm I feel like I won it was me against myself. There was no well, other Like you said, there could be someone else. And in that situation, then you'd be in a tie for first, but tie for first is still first. You know, it's like it's like uh if if you finish tied in your conference championship, even if you're the three seed in the you know, the the conference tournament. You yeah. still get a ring. You still count True. as regular season champs, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. No matter what, so you I'm are the regular tied season, as the winner of the Xtreme. So I'm the regular yeah. season champ. Yes, correct. No matter <laughs> so what. So what do we have to do to no determine who the away. real champion is? So I have to have like a... Yeah, you have to have, have to a do. duel. You have to find any other Nick Springers that are living in Lawrence and have some sort of duel. duel. It can be a boxing match. It can be yeah. a duel. It can be a game of wits. You can play like a game of chess or something. Mm. I don't know. You I'm decide. not very good at chess. Okay. I don't Maybe want do to a, a Nick Springer cathalon. You should have a bunch of different stuff in there. Anyway. Okay. First award we're going to give out. Most improved player from last year for KU. Hmm. Okay. Well, there's a lot of options you could go with on this one. Yeah. Yeah, you probably wouldn't pick Jalen Daniels or Devin no. Neal. Uh, I think based off of his performance in the Nevada game, Quentin Skinner. Yeah. An intriguing option. It's only one game, though, where he really... I mean, He, he was still I mean, good I guess last year. He had a great game against Missouri State, too, and he still right. was really good. You go to the offensive line, got Hard. Bryce Cabledew. Cabledew's a really got, good one. Uh, let's see. He's I been mean, really good. I, guess I think you could, you could Pooney, argue Dominic maybe? Pooney, even though Pooney was great last year and he's been great this year... The idea of having to change to left tackle, change positions, and left tackle yeah. is just inherently like the hardest line position to play. That on its own is is worth improvement. On the defensive side, you have Jeremy Robinson. Based off stats alone, he might be the best option, yep. to be quite honest with you. Uh, you could go with Hayden Hatcher because mm-hmm. you know you bring in a couple transfers to, to push the defensive end position, and he still finds a way to be the starter and is making some impact. You got Rich Miller, who's had a strong start to the season. Yes, you go has. in the secondary. Mello Dotson's uh, been really Mello good Mello Dotson. So uh, I don't. I mean, you could maybe even argue Kenny Logan. It seems like he's had a strong start to the year as I think well. Marvin Grant. Marvin Grant. Marvin Grant would be up there for There's me. There's some honest. good options. DJ Withers, I Tommy think, Dunn. What about Quentin Lassiter? Yeah. Someone who wasn't yeah. didn't but, I mean, like, play like, at all. Okay, yeah, obviously he's going to be improved because he's, you know, he didn't play last year. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think I'd rather go with Jeremy Robinson. Well, I, I do think with, with Lassiter, even though he does lead the team in picks, I was looking, I think he only has like 40-something snaps played this year. Yeah, he hasn't been out there a lot. Yeah, so it's, it's hard for me to be like, well, you've had as much of an impact. And that's why I wouldn't pick Hayden Hatcher, too, because he missed basically all of the Nevada game. Like, he, he was dealing with an injury, and then he came in late in the game, so he must yeah. have said, screw this, like, I'm getting in there, whatever happened there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's hard to well, be— Well, Lance Leipold said that he was uh, for emergency use, and yes. they were tied late. That seems like that an, emergency an emergency to me. <laughs> yes. So he ended up playing. But, like, it, it's hard if, if we're talking about an award that you're giving for only three games. If you basically missed the entirety of one game, that means that you have to be— you know, 150% more productive than oh, yeah. somebody else just to equal what they're doing. Well, that's right? why I tossed Quentin Skinner out there, but I don't even, did he even have a catch against Illinois? I honestly don't remember. I don't either. So, that, again, if you're taking out of that one game, yeah. you know. Yeah, I'm, it, I'm leaning towards Jeremy Robinson here. See, I'm leaning towards Marvin Grant. What about Kobe okay. Baines, too? I mean, I don't know. Maybe throw his name out there just for the fun of it. Uh, but I am leaning Marvin Grant. I vote for Jeremy Robinson. Okay, well, my vote is worth one and a half. Yours is only <laughs> worth one, so what do you think about that? I think it's rigged. I think the whole thing's rigged. No, that's fine. We Just like the Nick people. Springer contest. It was all rigged all along. <laughs> it was rigged all along. Uh, no, but I, I feel good about Marvin Grant without him. His coverage has really improved. He's put a lot yeah. of work in. So Yeah. Jeremy Robinson's a good one, too. Uh, what about play of the year? There's some good options here, too. Uh, play of the, the non-con, I guess. The, the Luke Grimm touchdown reception against Miss Missouri State was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was. That was pretty cool. And that was obviously very important because that was after Missouri State went up 10-7. to Yeah. 
And that was after the play where I think Lawrence Arnold got behind the defense on the deep ball. Yeah. And then being through the strike to Luke Graham and got you back in front. And then Devin Neal had that long touchdown run against Missouri State, but it, I mean, like, I could have scored a touchdown yeah. on that run. <laughs> Well, that's so, why, I, as much you know. as both those plays were important <laughs> or good highlight plays, it, it's hard for me to pick a game against Missouri State as the play of the year so far. You go to the Illinois game, gosh, you got three or four Jalen Daniels plays you yeah. can pick from. I mean, the the play at, at the end of the first half, the play where he's running around on third down at his, his own, own goal own. line, uh, those are two that jump out to me immediately. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of some defensive plays. You have... They sacked him. I mean, they, they got six sacks in that game. Yeah, I mean, both think, interceptions. The Melo Dotson one that was kind of like great concentration by him on the yeah, tip. And then the Quentin Lasseter one to kind of like rip the ball away. Yeah. Those were good plays. And you go to the Nevada game. A couple Quentin nice Skinner catches catch. by Quentin Skinner. Yeah. Yep, a couple nice Quentin Skinner catches. Any Logan fourth down tackle against uh, Nevada? Yeah, that could be a good one. Uh, I don't know. I'm. I think you, you got to go with one of the Jalen Daniels plays. I think. Yeah, I'm really tempted to go with the Jalen Daniels one at his own end zone against Illinois. That was my pick too, actually. But because the if you want to pick that, that's fine. I, I'm gonna go with a different. One. I'm gonna go with the Quentin Skinner catch against Nevada. It was a close game. You had yeah. to have it. Yeah. It was. I think it was second and four. So I guess hypothetically you would have had another down. But nice little know, that was very Nice little catch on the sideline. Yeah. Big time play. Yeah. No, I'm. I'll go with Jalen Daniels. I mean, dude, that was the Patrick Mahomes esque. Play running around, you got an all American chasing you down, and you get away from him. Mm -hmm. And then to make that throw, give me Jalen Daniels, Uh, newcomer of the year. Who would be the winner of that through non con? Yeah, I think you'd have to look to the defense because there's There's not really very many freshmen that would win this. Yeah, yeah, and I think you'd have to look to the defense because you don't have very many options of newcomers on the offense because you returned 10 guys. I mean, who would even be a candidate? I don't even know. Dylan McDuffie would be the, if you were given an offense newcomer of the year, he would win it with a runaway just because there's no other one. Spencer Lavelle hasn't really played. Logan Brown hasn't really played. Like Keaton Quebec hasn't really played. Quebec hasn't played. You know, yeah, Dylan McDuffie's the only guy. He's the only one. So congrats, Dylan McDuffie is the offensive newcomer of the year. So then you go to the defense. The defense, you have a lot of options because they did bring in some new faces. Uh, a lot, mainly up front. You could go with Austin Booker. You could go with Patrick Joyner, Devin Phillips, JB. I think I know who your pick is. JB Brown. <laughs> you go in the secondary. Darius McGee hasn't really played much. No. So I mean, you're looking at you know one of the guys up front probably. And I think the clear answer here, Mr. JB Brown. I uh, think it is JB Brown. A two-man race. Come on man. down, dude. Phillips, we should have. We should have gone to KU and said, "Hey, we're going to do this award show. Bring them in, and we'll, we'll hand, you know, we'll, <laughs> woo, yeah, we'll clap and you know, bring them in, and they can give a victory speech, whatever." No, I mean, Gage Keys has been fine. Uh, Devin Phillips has been fine so far. Like they've done their job. Um, Patrick Joyner like started for you last week with with Hayden Hatcher's injury, so he's been fine for you. But yeah, I, I think this is a two man race. It's Austin Booker and JB Brown. Yeah, and if we're going to circle back to your argument yep. from some of the other awards. Austin Booker missed an entire half of the yeah. Nevada game. And that's exactly so, what I was going to say. So, J.B. Brown. I'm going J.B. Brown. Now, I will say, if Austin Booker played the full game against Nevada and made an impact, Maybe. I actually probably would go Austin Booker because of the importance at that defensive end position. Yeah. I've been so impressed with his pass rush and his get-off skills yeah, he's been great. and his speed to the quarterback uh, that he very much deserves heavy. But, yeah, J.B. Brown's been awesome. All right, the so first unanimous there vote we go. for uh, the player of the year goes to J.B. Brown. There we go. All right, offensive player of the year. See, this is interesting because you, you no, have that was two quarterbacks that have played. I want to rephrase. Newcomer of the year for J.B. Brown. Sorry, I got yeah. ahead of myself. Offensive player of the year now mm-hmm. on the offense. Yes. Oh, oh. Rating oh, for you. Sorry. Okay. okay, let's go through the candidates here. Uh, up first, you have. I mean, you could give Jalen Daniels or Jalen Daniels. Bean, but yes. how much does it hurt that. Jalen Daniels. You know, they haven't played as many games. Devin Neal. 
Luke Grimm, Lawrence Arnold. Lawrence Arnold. Probably not one of the tight ends because they no. haven't really had the stats there. Mason Fairchild has Mm-mm. does he have a touchdown? No, he got about half a yard away last game. Oh, right, right. Okay, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So no touchdowns from Mason Fitzgerald. Um, uh, would you dare then, thrown off into line? <laughs> like Dominic Pooney and Bryce Cable have been really good. We'll put Dominic Pooney on the okay. list. Dominic Pooney's made the short list. Uh, but to Jared me, Casey for his Swiss Army knife. To me, there's a clear H back guy. There's an obvious answer. Okay. All right, let's do it. Let's count out. Three, two, one, we'll say. All right. Ready? Wait, are we saying three, two, one, say the name, or three, two, one, shoot, say the name? Three, two, one, say the name. Okay. Three, two, one. Devin, Devin Neal. Neal. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Woo! It's another unanimous one. Well, it's just okay. So with Jalen, if he, you know, played the whole FCS game, maybe that would be different. Yeah. Um, and, and that'd probably be a different conversation. Also, though, when you look at like how they do awards in the NFL, typically, it usually is like the MVP is always the quarterback, and the offensive player of the year is always like we're gonna basically that'll be our nod to a non-quarterback. Who's the best <laughs> non-quarterback? It's like last year was Justin Jefferson, right? Yeah. So that's how I view this too. And Devin Neal's been so good, man. He has. He's on pace for uh, what, over like seventeen hundred total yeah. yards between rushing and receiving. Twenty-four touchdowns. Twenty-four total touchdowns. Those are seriously numbers that would put you in All-American candidacy. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I, think, I think he's an obvious a, answer. I think this is a slam dunk because yeah. it's like with the receivers. Well, Lawrence Arnold, Luke Grimm, and Quentin Skinner—they're splitting catches. Lawrence Arnold's your team leader in receiving yards, but he doesn't have a touchdown yet this year. Yeah, the voters did not screw this one up. I think no. it's pretty clear. No. Neal. Would it be fair to put Dominic Pooney as the runner-up right now? I think I'd probably have Jalen Daniels still as the runner-up, nah, even without the missed know, game. I mean, offensive line, He's just like, so good. Yeah. I'd, I would I'd put have Jalen Daniels, too. I'd, I'd, put I'd be Daniels fine putting also. Dominic Pooney three. Okay, uh, defensive player of the year. All right, on the defense, you have some options. If you look up front, based off of stats, Jamie Robinson, you could go with Austin Booker. You could go with J.B. Brown. Rich Miller doesn't really necessarily have the stats for it, but he's a captain. He's you know one of your veterans of the defense. You go to the secondary. Quentin Lassiter for his start with the leading the team in interceptions. You could look at Marvin Grant. You could look to Kenny Logan. Uh, obviously, Kenny Logan had to play on fourth down against Nevada. Uh, I, I don't know. This one's a bit more wide open, I feel like. I don't know. what what's Where are you leaning right now? I, I do agree with you. It's very wide open. Uh, you could literally almost take like anyone from the defense. Uh, I almost want to eliminate Austin Booker and Kobe Bryant for the missed half. Because, again, sure. uh, there have only been six halves of football. So, if you're without one of the six... You have to be that percentage much better than everyone else, and I, I think they've both been really good, but I don't know that I would say they're, they've been, you know, whatever one-sixth would be, like 16% better than than everyone else to make up for it. Um, I honestly don't think we've given enough love and talk about how good Rich Miller's been so far this season. You know, I've, I've had a man crush on J.B. Brown so far, but Rich Miller yeah. has been the steady force at linebacker. Oh, yes. He, he's been very, very consistent, and and— those are the types of players that don't win these types of awards because they're not always very flashy. Which kind right? of makes me want to give it to him. But consistent, I feel like he deserves it so far. Yeah, consistent and stalwart. And Eager. again, the thing with which the thing with Rich Miller that you don't see on the stat sheet is obviously a captain, a veteran, uh, probably the heart and soul of the defense. Really, certainly for the front seven, a guy that's been around for a while, committed to the program. So, if you want to give us Rich Miller, I would honestly. I would I would vote for Rich Miller. Yeah, I'm I'm mostly between Rich Miller and Jeremy Robinson. And the thing that keeps me coming back to Jeremy Robinson is just the pass rush in general is so so pivotal. You oh know? yeah, yeah. And then and the stats are there. I'm gonna give it to Rich Miller for now though. I will vote Rich Miller also. Okay. So there you go. Uh, Coach of the year. Now, uh, in theory, this sounds <laughs> obvious because typically, like Lance Leipold, when you think of NFL, like Coach of the Year, it's a head coach, right? But. <laughs> 
let's let's divvy this out. I think you could give it to a lot of different coaches on the KU staff if you were picking okay. one coach of the year. Obviously, Lance Leipold, he runs the show. Lance He's Leipold. the top guy. Yep. Okay, he could deserve it, right? Sure. Brian Borland, so far, the defense Hang on a better. second. Hang okay. on a second. Okay. If we're going by the same standards went by with the players, Missed game. Brian Borland did not coach okay. against Illinois. That's fair. What about Jordan Peterson? I would he put filled Jordan in Peterson for him as DC. Yes. DBs have done well. I would put Jordan Peterson. I don't know if it counts for the recruiting that he's done, but that obviously involves I think you it up. could, yeah. Uh, so he would be up there. Andy Kotelnicki, we know, you know, just great offensive coordinator. Yep. Uh, what about Taiwo Onotolu, defensive end coach, or Jim Panagos, the defensive tackle Onotolu. Isn't Onotolu the special teams coordinator also, right? Yes. So I think he's, no, I, I think he is the one. I thought it was split duties. I don't think so. Okay. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's not split duties. Well, either way. So does that give it By the more way, credence? This this number will not last, and it is such a small sample size. Did you know that Kansas is number one in the country on ESPN's SP Plus special teams right now? That's <laughs> How? Because they just haven't missed a field. I goal? guess just most teams probably haven't had like a big kick return touchdown yet or punt return yet, and then yeah, they just haven't missed a field goal. But it's they not like their punting up. has been insane. No, but I don't know if they've Dude, had any punts. Who do I have to get on yet? the phone to watch Damon Greaves do an Aussie style punt? <laughs> Why are we making him punt American? Let him, let him, let him cook. Let him, let him do what he's supposed to be doing. What are we doing? All right, who are you picking for coach of the year? Uh, I'm gonna go. Man, Lance Leipold's so boring. I'm not giving it to Lance Leipold. Okay, give me, give me Jordan Peterson. Why not? All right, I'll uh, I'll go with Andy Kotelnicki. You know, interesting offense and everything. Okay, uh, and then last one we got here. Who is the MVP so far? Uh, Jalen Daniels. Just with the quarterback value, <laughs> it's easy. Even though he missed the game. I don't. I mean, who else would you give it to? Well, I, mean, I guess you give it to Devin Neal. To be clear, I do agree with you because this is one where even though I mean, I've listen, been saying we don't have to follow what the NFL does, we, no, we can don't. give Devin Neal both awards. Of course, but I I do want to give it to Jalen because if you think about it this way, where is the value? Inherently, the value is going to be in the games that you need the quarterback, not the FCS game. And he came out to play in both games. Had a big second half against Nevada. Hit all the plays when he needed him to. Uh, averaged eleven yards per pass. Illinois. He was obviously unbelievable. And wins you that game. So, yeah, I, I think your two most important game For value, yeah, I, I think that is Jalen Neal. I or guess you say KU quarterbacks. I'm going to vote Devin Neal, actually. Okay, Changing my fine. vote. He's been really good, too. Changing my vote, sure Devin Neal. Split okay. vote on the MVP. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to get to some uh, KU football audio from Jalen Daniels and J.B. Brown on the other side. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN, depending on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.